Michelle. Hi, I'm Caitlin. Welcome to Better Words. Hello, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Hey guys, did you notice we added music? We're so excited because it's the second week we've had it and it just feels so snazzy and new. I know. It's so fancy. I feel so (laughs) fancy. But at the same time, I played it for my sister and she was like, oh, is that it? And I was like, we worked so hard. Oh, excuse me. Wow. I think she was just expecting something like really, 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 really professional and snazzy. But unfortunately, we're not quite up to that yet. Like it took us this long to get around to actually doing them. And then both of us, when we did, we were like, oh, is that all we had to do? Oh. <laughs> I know it was easier than I thought it was going to be, but mm. um, I'm very excited either way to finally have some music and some a little theme. Yeah, so it's kind of weird because now we just have to do like a cold intro, and it's it's strange. <laughs> it does feel a little strange, but um, what have you been doing this week, Michelle? Well, not too much. I mean, to be quite honest with you. Everything's been incredibly stressful at work. I've been in a situation which has just, it's just been unbelievable. So I think that's kind of taken up a lot of my energy. Energy, yeah. Yeah. But what helped on the weekend was going to the beach with you and our friend Indy. Yeah, that was lovely. Yeah, it was nice just to kind of chill for a few hours in the shade this time after we got sunburnt when we went at the end of our holidays. Yeah, don't don't mention it. It's fine. (laughs) Um, Other than that, I've been enjoying New Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which I know you have as well. Oh, my God. It's so good. I love it. (laughs) Oh, Oh, can we discuss the quiz you tagged me in the other day? Yes. So we have said before that I never – like fully identify with like characters on TV shows or anything like that. Whereas you are an Amy, are a Hermione, you know, those Nina Proudman, Nina Proudman. Exactly. So I've always struggled with that, but now I have identified one and I'm not sure if I'm super happy with it because you tagged me in a quiz. That was what Brooklyn Nine-Nine character and cast member are you a combination of? And I got Andy Samberg and then the character Charles Boyle. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, I am Boyle. Oh, see, no. I can see it, though, but, like, the good things, not the bad things. Like, you are super loyal. You're really fun. You're really great at, like, making your friends feel better when they're down. But you're not weird. So. Oh, thanks. <laughs> what a compliment. <laughs> Also, I think we should tell people that we're, just like a side note, we're testing out a new way of recording and for the first time ever, we're not recording this together. Oh my God, it is the first time ever. Mm, but Except for when one of us was overseas, but we didn't record. We didn't record. Together, we recorded like actual separately pieces of audio. Mm, which I'm sure oh. everyone probably could tell because we're not we're learning about editing we're not that great yet (laughs) that's all right yeah yeah so you're right this probably this probably does sound different um to everyone because though we are still in you know the same town um 
we're recording from our own homes individually to test this out. And hopefully it sounds okay because when I move to England in May, this is how we're going to record. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, Which is weird, but hey, at least we'll definitely be talking to each other. We have no excuse. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Um, So what have you been like reading and stuff this week? Well, I finished Letters to My Yesterday, which is actually my first read of the year, Um, but I left it at my parents' house and even though they live down the street, I just never went to get it. Um, And I have read What I Like About Me, which I know you've also read and we love. And we can't talk too much about either of these except to tell you that we will be having the authors join us so you'll be able to hear all about them then. Yeah, stay tuned. Um, I, what else have I been doing? Oh my God, you know what else I've been doing? Binge watching Sabrina the Teenage Witch. (laughs) I love it so much. And it's so, it's so funny to rewatch a show like this that I used to watch like reruns and bits and pieces on TV because I, and I used to record them on video. So I will watch an episode, you know, on this streaming app that I'm watching it on and I'll be like, oh, I remember this one. It's like, oh, and at the end this happens and I can, like, remember all the details because I've watched it so many times because I probably had it recorded. And then the next episode will be completely new, never seen it, never seen any reference to it in any other episode, nothing, not even a gif. And then the next episode I'll have, I'll know exactly what's going to happen again. It's really odd. It's, it's just so strange. And because the other thing that's happened is that, like, you know, I think one of the most popular gifts from this show is that was used recently is one where Aunt Hilda, like, makes a Christmas wreath around her face light up. And I'd never actually seen that episode. I just knew it was from the show. But now I have. Yeah, anyway, so what else have you been watching, listening to, etc.? Well, apart from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I feel like I haven't been watching a lot. It's just kind of been a blur, really. Yeah, fair enough. I struggled. I was like, what have I been watching? Um, But I guess two things that have, like, made me a little bit happy. I found this ridiculous. And, I mean, it's not not really ridiculous, but this show on Netflix, and you're going to laugh so hard when I tell you what it is, but it's called Stay Here, and it's about turning – like shit Airbnb houses into luxury Airbnb houses. Oh, my God. That actually sounds kind of awesome. <laughs> it just, I don't know, I just love some that stuff sometimes and it's kind of nice to escape reality with the, they, they do a proper like, well, it's like a renovation, um, renovation and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Except they also show you like the business side of things and how to like make it a luxury Airbnb. And I don't know, it's just been a nice escape. And it's one of those shows where you don't have to think too much too because that's the thing. Sometimes when you're feeling a bit overwhelmed with everything, the last thing you want to do is watch, you know, like. A really like in-depth, interest. you know, not not interesting, but like a really in-depth, yeah, thoughtful. Actually, that's what I I watched. Um, I finished watching Good Girls. Oh, my God, I loved that show. Yeah. So. I wouldn't say I love it because it took me four months to keep watching it again. Um, <laughs> but I'm like 
interested enough to watch the second season, but I was like, wow, a lot of stuff, a lot of twists and turns happened. They really are. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So I was... And what a cast, though. Yeah, I know. I I think probably the cast for me is the only reason really that I want to keep watching because I especially love Christina Hendricks in this role. Mm. Um, I think, yeah, I don't know. It it definitely for me got a bit better, but I mean, I kind of just wanted to see from the beginning. Yeah. Like I could probably one of those take it or leave it shows. Um, And speaking of leaving it, I really don't think I can watch Riverdale again. I really like, what is oh. even happening? I'm one episode behind, but I think something that is a bit different about our taste in these shows that Riverdale is really highlighting is I think you like things to be a bit more realistic and continue sort of what they've been doing if it's not like a full-on fantasy show, if that makes sense. Whereas I'm a little bit like, oh, whatever, get crazy, let's keep yeah. going. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense in that world. Whereas like I can handle Sabrina because right from the outset, like those rules of that world are established. Yeah. Whereas Riverdale is changing the rules. Like I don't even understand. Like maybe I was just in the wrong headspace when I watched the latest episode, but I'm going to have to watch it again to even understand what happened. And I just don't like, (laughs) I'm, you know, am I really going to waste my, I always say like, you know, I, my, I, stop reading books if I'm not enjoying them so I'm like why am I still persisting with Riverdale if I'm not enjoying it because it's got past the point of like oh this is a fun show that's a bit crazy to the point of just like I don't understand it's really confusing you and stressing you out at the moment isn't it I think I should just stop um because one one of our friends um told me as well that I should watch the bold type on Stan so I think I'm going to try out some Stan shows and I'm also going to start watching Younger so I'll report back about how I'm liking that. I wanted to watch Younger. Yeah yeah so the bold type is um some magazine based stuff sort of like not Devil Wears Prada but Devil Wears Prada Uh, yeah and they just knew I'd love it and yeah, yeah Younger sounds really good I keep listening to Lady Gang episodes with younger cast members on them and so yeah it's kind of made me really excited for that so I'll have to report back on that the only other thing that I've really been loving has been um a new podcast which we actually found at the same time we did yeah because we were we might have have been when we were doing our music for this um like for this year we did we We got distracted um (laughs) with a like a news article um, on Facebook that we saw about a ridiculous bikini thing. The vagina and we, bikini and, yeah. trend. <laughs> and then we ended up stalking who like wrote the, like the journalist who wrote the article and found her podcast. Her name's which... Michelle, so obviously she's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, she has a podcast called Shameless uh, and I've started listening to that and, oh, my goodness. Me too. It's, it's so, so funny. Oh, it's so funny. You... Like, see, okay, this is how do you approach this sort of situation when it's not interviews? They've just been discussing stuff that's in the meet. Have you gone back to the start? I listened to a couple of episodes from the very beginning to like get a feel um, for them, but I think I don't need to listen to the whole past year's worth of news again. So I'll just like listen from 
now or a yeah. few episodes back. True, yeah. because the only other thing I would say with that is I'm really loving listening to them. So I'm like, oh, I want to listen to a bit more. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe, you know, if you scroll through and it's like, oh, my God, that was so funny. I remember that. Maybe listen to that one. But Yeah, so yeah. It's, um, it's like entertainment news and stuff like that, but with a really, well, a great feminist spin and mm, definitely. just a lot of considered stuff. So um, the latest episode was hashtag ultra tone deaf which is Mm -hmm. um related to the the fact that ultra tune are for the third year in a row having someone who has um is a proven domestic violence perpetrator front their ad campaigns and they're trying to encourage a boycott of that based on that after this whole gillette ad thing which Mm, to be quite honest with you i've totally avoided i know i should be into it but i just don't have the mental capacity to have been dealing with my rage for that at, at the, the same moment. time I've been yeah. dealing with personal stuff so it's one of those things where I was like I'm gonna sit this one out guys like I'm just gonna I'm gonna park <laughs> my outrage and yeah, just take enough. a moment um but they also discuss the very interesting trend of influences and yes. this whole it's it's happened um after the Caroline Caraway stuff which, oh my god if you're How not familiar crazy. was is she a scammer oh it's just like thought, you have to google her if you haven't if you're not familiar with the story because it is so crazy yeah it really is it's really shocking and it but it did it makes you think especially as someone like I've paid for coaching sessions with bloggers mm. but so I genuinely feel like I've got something out of that more than just an inspiring chat like the full disclosure, like the blog po- coaching, the blog coaching, oh my gosh, the blog <laughs> coaching session I did with Vix Meldrew and I've recommended her on this podcast because I think her um, her podcast, Exciting Emails, is great. She gave me a really solid plan of things ahead and has been constantly supporting me even before I joined the membership tier of her Exciting Emails community. And mm-hmm. I think she offers a lot for free so you can see she is genuine. Yeah. Uh, she is not a scammer. Yeah, exactly. Sure. But what, what you're getting when you pay to work with her is tailored help. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you can use her free services and work through them at your own pace. So, you know, I think kind of everyone has to have their own judgment about things. But I thought it was very interesting, their discussion about, you know, Ashley Vines, for example, and the fact that like one weekend away with her, probably not a scam because things would were, you know, delivered the way that like there was no suggestion there that those people did not get what they paid for with Caroline Caraway. Oh, it's insane. People did not get what they paid for. Or no, goodness. and she continued like and she was like cancelling and rescheduling events. Oh, yeah. it was crazy. Yeah. Oh my god. So I, I think they're like an intelligent discussion about entertainment news and I am totally I feel like I'm just going to be so more up to date with everything because I can just go to them to get all this stuff now yes me too (laughs) are you in the Facebook group as well not yet oh you should be (laughs) because guess who else is in there fun fact our friend Carly Finlay friend of the podcast Carly is in there p.s everyone Carly's book say hello say hello comes out I think at the end of this month like in a week or two so exciting very very exciting yeah so we're super proud of her and also um 
you know, she loves Chat 10 Looks 3. Um, oh, my God, yeah. Yeah, Annabelle was, like, saying how amazing her book was and stuff. And I'm, like, I'm, like, so happy for you, mainly because I know that you love them as well. Like, yeah. it's so much <laughs> higher praise when it's, like, someone you love. Uh, and her book was in Booktopia's um, Books of the Month alongside Lee Sales's book. So I'm just like, yes. oh, my God. So wonderful. <laughs> so, yeah, we're super excited. And I think we should include a link to her book in the show notes um, as For well sure. as a link to go back and listen to our very awesome episode with her that we did last year. So Yep. Yeah. All of that will be in our show notes, guys, <laughs> so you can go check that out. Now, before we wrap this up, Michelle, I just have one more thing that I haven't even told you yet. Oh, my gosh. What? I bought myself a ticket to see Sean Mendes at the end yes! of 2019. Oh, so, you know what? I'm so proud of you. Are you just going by thanks. yourself? Yes. I could only get single seats, so I'm yeah. going by myself. And I didn't mean that to sound like, mm, are you going by yourself? Like, because we yeah. had discussed and I was like, I think you should just do it because you love Sean Mendes and you shouldn't be like, oh, I'm not going to see him because I don't have any. Like, I was all like, go for it. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm going. I'm excited. Yay. Yay. <laughs> That's so great. Oh, I'm so excited for you. That's going to be so much fun. Yeah. So, yeah, lots of wonderful things happening. And now we can go on to our wonderful interview. This week we're joined by a science writer and children's author. Our guest is passionate about helping children understand the wonder of science and has had a varied and exciting career in the industry, including working as a garbage analyst, science circus performer and atom-smashing reporter at the Swiss site of the Large Hadron Collider, which is really, really cool. We are very pleased to welcome Christy Byrne to Better Words today. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's our pleasure. So... Obviously, we're word nerds. Thank you so much um, for having me. But we both did, you know, basic high school science and stuff like that. I, I stopped science as soon as I, as soon as the school would let me. Basically, <laughs> I did. I did biology, but I've got to be honest. I found it a little bit boring, and I was like, I want to do history instead. Like we're just really nerdy <laughs> word people. Um, but what I'm fascinated in is like those two things, um, you know, words and science well, they're, often, they're often conflicting yeah. and you're into one or the other. So I'm in, we're interested in, you know, how you developed your love for both. Well, it's, it's interesting that you think they conflict because, um, I, I do a lot of work with schools and I go into schools and chat to kids, mostly primary schools and the kind of workshops and, and the work that I do is to look at what's happening in the science news, so what's just been invented or what's just been discovered or what breakthroughs we've made. And then we talk a little bit about that and then we say, okay, how could you use that in a story? And the kids go nuts for it. So that idea of having something factual and amazing uh, that's just, you know, like um, we've recently landed a little mini spacecraft on Mars. That's so cool. That just happened two weeks ago. And we talk about that and then we say, okay, how could we use that in a fictional story and how could we just explode that and, and have dragons and monsters and thrills? And those combinations of real life and fiction is what I think drives um, my passion for science. It's just so cool. See, I think if I'd had something like that in my school, I probably would have found science a lot more interesting. I sometimes struggled, especially with chemistry, the reason I struggled with math as well is because I'm such a visual person. I found it hard to understand these concepts, which were 
quite abstract to me, but I think that sounds like such an engaging way to get kids interested in science and then they can kind of find which parts of science and technology interest them. Yeah. I think it's like, you know, when you're learning to read, they give you incredibly boring readers with all due respect, you know, because your your understanding is so limited of, of what words you can read. And so the stories that you can tell are often limited. And it's the same with science. Like until you've learned the language of science, you, you can't um, – your, your ability to understand complex science is limited. But you're, you can still feel amazed by new discoveries and you can still feel excited by pushing the frontiers of knowledge. And, and I think that's what captures kids' imagination. Absolutely. That's so cool. And it's, and yeah. it's something I want to come back to later as well, what we can do in the future with children. Um, but, you know, for you, where, where did the interest start? So I did not like science at primary school, and I think the way we teach science in primary school now has improved a lot, um, but it was so dry and it was so not interesting to me in primary school. And then, But I loved reading and I loved – I devoured books. I had a very poor social skills, I think. Us too, don't worry. <laughs> sat around at lunchtime and read books. Um, and then when I went to high school, uh, a teacher, Mr. Roberts, was my science teacher, and he gave us – an assignment, and the assignment was to research um, solar power or some sort of alternative energy. And so I thought, well, the easiest way to do that is to write a letter to Murdoch University uh, in Perth. So I wrote my letter, and they sent me so much information, and I used my love for words to um, condense that information into a really good science assignment. And that was the first time that I felt like I could do science. And Mr. Roberts wrote to me and said, or not, you know, like they grade your paper. And he said, you know, A plus, this is a great assignment. And I am very driven by results. So I was like, wow, I'm good at science. And from there, um, I, I wanted to maintain that, you know, being good at science idea. And I just really um, kept trying and, and kept being passionate about it. And um, it's, it's a great place to have a career because it's global. If you can speak science, you know, if you can understand science, you can get a job anywhere in the world. And, and that's really opened a lot of doors as amazing as that is and completely true it did just make me think of that mean girls quote where he asks why she likes math and she says because it's the same in every country (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) Yeah. well that's what I say like if you're walking through a desert and you and you desperately need water you don't need to know the word for water because h2o is yeah Mm. global yeah um, no it's so true it's completely true I think the reason I often see them as being opposed is because um you know when when I think of when I think back to my science lessons it was very much like you know our assignments were reports and it's all about accuracy and fact and it to me and it experiments just, yeah, and, yeah and reporting what happened um ironically I end up being a journalist and that's what I do every day um but <laughs> you know it sort of seemed at odds to my English teacher who was like, just explore all these amazing, weird ideas. So I love that, you know, your workshops and your writing are teaching kids from a young age that you can have both. Yeah, yeah. And I I think you can. There was a real thing, I don't know, when I was at school that maths was scary 
and maths was um, hard. But I think if we don't do that, if we don't teach kids that maths is scary and hard, then they won't have that block. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, exactly. If I had teachers that said, yeah, no, maths is easy, Caitlin, you can do this, I probably would be so much better at it. Even the way they teach maths now, so my kids are seven and nine, you know, the way they teach times tables, for me, it was memorize this. But for my kids, they teach them all these clever little ways of shortcutting different complex calculations and making them simpler. And and yeah, that's so clever. And it can be applied in so many different parts of life, you know, breaking a big problem into smaller problems. Yeah, 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 exactly. Oh, gosh, yeah, the way things even obviously, even since we were at school, even in primary school and stuff, which wasn't really that long ago. It's obviously hearing hearing you talk about your kids experience, it obviously has changed a lot. Mm. And and that's, that's absolutely wonderful. I, I would like to kind of circle back around to, to this idea of education and stuff. But before that, um, I'd love if you, if you could kind of tell us a little bit about zeros and ones and, and why you wanted to, to explore, um, I guess, the, the big people in technology in a book. It's interesting, isn't it? Um, because we're so surrounded by technology. So right now we're chatting because of technology and we've got phones and gadgets and devices and our children are saturated by technology. And I feel we do a lot of consuming. We consume a lot of content. I feel That's, like it's become it's become endless for me. Like I always have endless. I always have a podcast on, and not only that, I always have about ten others that I want to listen to. And <laughs> it's it's just I need to write about it at some point because it has just become this. It's never ending, and we've got Netflix streaming. You literally just have thousands There's, of I'm things. Watching something or listening to something or reading something every minute of every day mm. like but right now I would say technically I'm not but we're talking to you and interviewing you so we're still consuming something because you're talking to but, us but you're creating something now you're creating yeah. content mm. well that's creating. the other one isn't it? yeah and I, that feeds a part of you or it certainly feeds a part of me like it feeds my soul it makes me happy to create something and a lot of the time we just consume we come home and we sit and watch tv or you know and, and we just it's that one-way thing and I want to empower kids to create. So with technology, you don't, even though it, it seems really tricky and ama- it is amazing that this tiny phone can do all these amazing things, it blows my mind. So I wanted to break it down and go, you don't have to be overwhelmed by that. Like, what if we could break it down and go back just a couple of hundred years ago and look at how we got here and who helped us on that journey? So it's zeros and ones is a look at, um, who helped to create that technical revolution and the first computers like you tell kids there was a time when there were no computers in the world or five computers in the world (laughs) it's just (laughs) mind-blowing and so who invented those computers and how did they make them and where did they go from there and what dead ends were there and it's really I was surprised actually how exciting that journey is and how many um you know personal little quirky personal stories there are behind how we got here so yeah the subtitle is the geeks heroes and hackers who changed history and i want kids to know that they can change history they don't have to only consume they can create and it's got this really cute little robot on the front yeah it's and, I love that. <laughs> it's adorable it's so cute it's like the only book that actually greets you in the bookstore hello <laughs> <laughs> Um, but robots are freaky. Robots really freak me out because they're starting to get cleverer than human beings and they're starting to be able to create art and, and literature 
Um, they can create things that we never dreamed would be possible. And our children are the ones who have to foster this technology and, and guide this technology and, and decide what are we going to do with it? It's super powerful. So I don't want them to only be consumers. I want them to be empowered to change history and to direct the future that they want. So yeah, I'm hoping to engage kids and excite kids and um, let them know that this is your gig. This is your future. Exactly. What are you going to do with yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's it's such an interesting point too, because I mean, now we're really at a point now where, you know, these newer generations are coming up into and they're just all this technology is already here that's been invented by other people who, you know, perhaps with certain things didn't quite know what they were going to do with it. And now what we've got is, you know, like not that long ago, people used to dream about, you know, asking robots questions and they'd know the answer. And guess what? Now we have Siri and Alexa and Hey Google and we <laughs> yeah. can... And algorithms that and... tell us what we think we need to know. And... Yeah. Actually, I was listening to a really interesting podcast last night because I'm always consuming something um, and I couldn't <laughs> have a shower without listening to the podcast. And it was the BBC Inquiry and it was explaining Facebook algorithm um, and explaining the the reasoning behind the algorithm how it came about and how it's influencing our lives and I think um it's very interesting to see the French riots and how Facebook has influenced that because it has given voice to um I guess angry corners of the internet you could say which may have otherwise been forgotten were it not for its algorithm and local news feature which pushed those um, posts and pages to whole new audiences that would otherwise have never known about it. So yeah. it's really interesting to see how just a simple thing like the Facebook algorithm and the Facebook news feed are really starting to have real world impacts. Mm. Yeah, and, and to be aware of that is so important. Instead of just, you know, clicking like and, and thinking this is the world, what Facebook shows me is the world. Facebook only shows you what you want to see. So it's quite scary if, if you think about everybody else is looking at what they want to see and what they want to see is different from what you want to see. And we kind of have to be tolerant of that and, and also um, understand that, yeah, it can feed anger and hate and things like that just as much as it can empower people to have their voices heard. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a double-edged sword like any technology. And that's why we need to be um, responsible and aware and conscious with how we use it. And I mean, you can't really be responsible and aware if you don't understand it. So I, I think that's probably why you've, you've got so many reviews for zeros and ones that say, you know, even though um, the primary audience is younger children, anyone who has picked up a digital device should really take a look at this book and, and find out a little bit more about the history of the devices that are, are literally the biggest part of our lives now. But what, what, for you, what's the biggest lesson you would hope that readers of any age take away from the book? The biggest lesson that I hope that they take away from the book? I, I learned lots of lessons. I learned, um, for example, that if you want to be an entrepreneur, you should probably get arrested <laughs> like, or be a hacker. So the number of um, like highly successful information technologists who dabbled with law breaking and like really spun me out but the lesson that I hope people take um is that ordinary people created this revolution like and they they made mistakes and they failed and they went down dead ends and then together like as a 
as a humankind, as a as a as a civilization, we just kept passing the ball and standing on the shoulders of giants and learning from each other and pushing and pushing and stretching and stretching and we don't really know where we're going with it but we've created something really incredible and you know it has it has totally changed the world so that's exciting that that people can change the world and you know with things like um, global warming and some of the huge challenges that face our planet we need people who believe they can change the world yeah we do absolutely (laughs) i mean it's amazing how quickly um you know this area has changed the world i mean one of my favorite um examples that i always use when i'm talking to people about this is that how communication technology in particular has evolved so quickly like when you watch back to the future three when they're in 2015 (laughs) (laughs) They had hoverboards and holograms and like flying cars, but they still had fax machines and (laughs) stuff like that. And it's like, you jump to what we actually had in 2015. And I mean, there was a lot of back to future stuff around then about like the hoverboards and the shoes and everything, but no one had been using fax machines for years. We had (laughs) iPhones and apps and, you know, even the like Alexa, Google Home sort of stuff like that was starting to come out then. It wasn't that long ago. But it's just crazy how quickly all of that changed. Yeah, yeah. And I would still love a hoverboard. Like I still think that would be quite cool. Oh, yeah. yeah no, absolutely. <laughs> we need to definitely get on that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, back to what you said about sometimes getting arrested. What are some of the most outrageous stories that you covered in the book? They, they weren't so much outrageous, but um... – even people like um, just flicking through now, like Bill Gates. So he he wanted to win so much. He was so kind of um, bent on being the best that he would develop skills in in really irregular areas, like tennis ball serving or jumping out of a rubbish bin. Like this is <laughs> this, this is you know he, he was so. Um, goal driven and I'm very goal driven as well like I really like to um, get A grades and I like to get um, you know to to finish a race and that kind of thing so I can just imagine him standing in a rubbish bin going I think I can jump out of this if I practice enough I can be (laughs) the best I really put my mind to it I'll get really good so his quote on that is be careful it can hurt if you don't succeed (laughs) (laughs) which is like you just know that he's fallen over and over and over again but in the end he's really mastered the skill (laughs) and and I think that's a good lesson you know like it it, it can hurt if you don't succeed and it will hurt but you just have to get up and keep jumping (laughs) yeah try and try again yeah yeah I just think it's amazing you know we you hear all these big names and they all have like these really random stories that you just know you know like even with Facebook as we've already talked about Mm -hmm. you know like they made the social network movie and like people know about how Mark Zuckerberg was like a hacker and like went to Harvard and like never you know half of these people never graduated from university but yeah we're all still busting our ass to get a degree Um, and the, the, the concept of a hacker has changed as well. So we, we have this negative connotation now that hackers um, are, are necessarily bad people or that their intentions are evil. Yeah, but hacking back then was merely kind of 
um, just messing around with code and exploring new ways of doing things, shortcuts, um, faster ways. So we, we still have that meaning in life hack, you know, when people have a life hack for, for a way of doing something more efficiently. So I think um, hackers are not necessarily um, bad people. Even, you know, like um, uh, Parisa, what's her name? Parisa Tabriz, who's the, the security princess at Google. So she's in charge of Google's security on their um, browser. And so she also started as, as a hacker and she got hacked and so she hacked back. She made a little shortcut to outdo the hacker and then they rehacked her. And so they're, they're just going back and forth of finding up clever ways of, of shortcutting something and getting around something. And, and she honed her skills in that way and now she uses those skills to prevent evil hackers from um, you know accessing our stuff. Hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that is yeah. very cool. See, oh gosh, that just blows my mind. I feel like oh, just it's out of my skill range. Yeah, definitely I think. <laughs> out of my skill range. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, if you just practiced and hung, like, you know, it's the same with words. Um, you, you learn how to be a good writer by mucking around with words, and you write a bit of poetry, and you write a, you know, a, a short story, and you you put words in different orders and see how that makes you feel when you read it. And it's the same with code. It's just a different language. And you put it together and see what it does. And you know, if you've ever um, programmed your own little website with HTML, I'm not a I'm not a coder, but I've mucked around with HTML. It's so exciting to see if I change this bit of the code, it's expressed in this way. It looks differently in this way. So you you really are creating something in the same way that you do with language. I I feel I, th I think it's a very creative yeah, thing very to be a coder. Yeah, no, I I think that's a, such a great perspective. And you know, like I probably do need to start looking at it that way rather yeah. than being like oh no too smart for me yeah. <laughs> I can't do that Technology science, no, bad. yeah yeah so I definitely need and but you know like in us talking about that it's it's quite clear that that's probably something that Caitlin and I both learned through our schooling and stuff yeah but before we come back to that um was there any other really surprising bits of information that you you found out while you were researching well so just on that thing of um of of computing being too complicated perhaps there's a woman called Sophie Wilson and way back when I don't know 50 years ago I, I don't know the exact date off the top of my head but she was working in a very small team a team of two to create a microcomputer and because she just had a very small team and no resources and no time she had to do it simply so she developed the whole thing in less than a week she designed the computer she coded its operating system she did the whole thing and it was super simple because that was all they had time for and that was all they had funding for. And then she went on from there. So Intel and Motorola and a lot of the universities were working really hard to find a simple processor, um, like a little microchip that could do the job of um, other microchips but faster and more simply and, and um, just streamline the whole process. And again, because there was just her, it was her and one other guy, uh, the one that she designed was so simple that when when they um, they tested it, they thought it wasn't working because it didn't use any energy at all on their meter because it was so energy efficient and so um, good at simplifying the the process that it didn't even register as using any energy at all. So the, 
they, we still use those chips. They're called ARM processors, and we still use them today in mobile phones because they're so energy efficient and they're so um, simple. And, and so she was forced into that simple solution through lack of resources and through lack of time and lack of funding. So I think sometimes, um, yeah, we can overcomplicate things. So she beat Intel, she beat Motorola, she beat all the universities just by um, keeping it simple. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. God, that that really is amazing, isn't it? Because, like, you hear so, you know, all the time people are like, no, we just need a simple solution, don't overthink things, keep it, you know, simple. And that, oh, my God, that's, like, the perfect example of just Just why it works. Simple wins. Mm, Exactly. Um, So I'd love to go back to the education idea. Um, And... Just ask where you see the future of technology heading in our schools. So um, do you think the way that we're teaching children now through our national curriculum is doing enough to equip them for, you know, this new world where technology is just part of their everyday life? Ooh, it's a big one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think sometimes schools can confuse, um, like, being tech ready with, being able to use a device. So I, I get that we need to teach kids how to use a, an iPad because we need to be able to use those devices. But again, that's a consuming thing, I think. Like that's learning how to click on buttons and read web pages, and that's important. But I would love to see um, more opportunity to create stuff, like to code your own websites and to learn that language, that other language of coding. So um, in Western Australia, for example, we have to learn another language in primary schools, which is fab. So my kids are learning Japanese. And it would be really fun to have a a coding language included as well so that you could learn how to create something using zeros and ones, using the computer's um, own power to actually create something yourself I think that would be cool but um, a lot of there's a lot of robots and there's a lot of um, you know those little spheros rolling around the classroom I nearly stood on one the other day (laughs) so they are having opportunities to uh, develop logic and uh, make little simple like maze codes where that you have to get your robot through a maze and things like that I think we could do more I think we could Yeah. yeah I think similar to what we were talking about before, what we really need, and I'm completely unqualified to be talking about the current educational curriculum because... (laughs) I feel the same, just as... (laughs) I'm not a teacher. I don't have children in school. I mean, my younger brother is in year 11, but like not, you know... Yeah, Um, Christy, at least you've got children in school, so you're still ahead of us there. Um, But like, I know when I was in primary school, we had like a tech a technology class like once you know like you'd go to PE and you'd Mm. go to technology um and that was you know just using computers and I don't remember specifically what we did I think I made my own game I remember what we did we learned how to type which I still can't and (laughs) how to use make like pretty posters in word art when I was in grade seven so (laughs) I think we probably did learn to type but I also remember learning how, like, we made a, like, our own computer game, yeah. which I then had on my computer for years, but I have no idea how we made it. But just those creation things and using the technology, um, not to your advantage, but, like, knowing that it is adaptable and you can make it do what you want yeah, and yeah. that you still have to run it because 
I mean, this is the kind of thing my boss says all the time about Excel. Like, people think they know how to use Excel, but they don't. They just put the numbers <laughs> in the cells. Yeah. You know, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And But I think that goes back to what you were saying, Christy, as well, about teaching children and people that they can create, not just consume. Yeah, yeah. So I think um, some of the year fives or sixes um, last year, they did what you've just mentioned. They made a game and that was cool. And then they came into the classroom of the younger kids and taught the kids how to play the game that they just made. So gamifying learning is a really interesting area where, you know, because kids love to play. So if we can teach them through play how to create something powerful, that would be very cool. I mean, that's just a fantastic learning technique or a technique to get children to do anything. I mean, <laughs> another, another movie quote from Caitlin, you know, Mary Poppins, snap, <laughs> the job's a game. Yeah, yeah. 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 Like, but, you know, yeah. there's so even much that adults. teachers have to do. Mm. I don't know how they manage to get so yeah. much so curriculum much. into such a short time. Um, so my hat is off to teachers. They do an incredible job. They do. And I, yeah, like Caitlin just said, I could never be a teacher. I, I couldn't do it. And they are amazing. And and even though, like, obviously looking back, I'm like, wow, I, it would have been cool to learn this back when I was at school. Um, but I had amazing teachers who influenced my life in so many other ways. So yeah. shout out to teachers because they're all amazing. Love teachers. I know. Um, but even technology in school, I went, when I was in year six and year seven, we had two big computers at the back of the classroom that were the class computers and they were the ones that still had a box on the back Mm. and by the time I was in year 12 I had my own laptop provided by the school yeah I talked to the kids about um there's a you know the the example there's there's lots of firsts um so you you can get caught up in what was actually the first but if one one of the examples of a first computer game the first uh, um computerized opponent was tic-tac-toe and it was like four meters tall, a big, ma- it was called Bertie the Brain, this big, massive four meter tall computer. And all it could do was tic-tac-toe. So, <laughs> That's so cool. we've come a long way. <laughs> That's <have>. pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. And that was, that was invented by um, a guy who escaped from Nazi Germany as a teenager. He was picked up for being a spy. They, they accused him of being a spy and they sent him to a prisoner of war camp in Quebec so he had to study in that camp. There was there was no school as such, but the adult prisoners taught the children. So he studied there and he did his maths and science and all that. They had no paper, so he had to write on toilet paper to do all of his learning. And then when he sat the end of high school exam, he got the top score, not just for the prisoner of war camp, but for all of Quebec. And Aww. yeah, and, and then he went on to, when when the war ended, he was finally allowed to study at university. And he developed this really cool, a bit like um, Sophie Wilson, a, a simplified way, a smaller way of doing this on-off switch, which we used to do in a really clunky, you know, we used to literally have on-off switches. And he developed a smaller way of doing it. And the game was merely to showcase this new technology that he developed. So, yeah, that's another cool story. <laughs> Going down the rabbit hole there. The only thing that I really know about like the history of computing, apart from, you know, classic Steve Jobs stuff, is um, when when I watched the imitation game, um, because I was like, oh, I love World War II films, um, and I found out all about Alan Turing, 
And then when I was in the UK, I went to Bletchley Park and they have a whole space, obviously, dedicated to Alan Turing and they have the replicas um, of the, the um, coding machines and um, the computers. And it, it, it's just incredible to, to walk around a place and think, wow, like the things that happened here have changed so many lives. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's such an incredible feeling to walk around and see the work that, that Alan Turing did. And I think he's probably a, a story that a lot of people are familiar with because um, of his, his, his life as well. So um, being a gay man and, and that being illegal at the time in Britain um, and him um, being, uh, I guess, convicted of, being a homosexual um so i guess that's a story that's lived on beyond his amazing work in the technology field but it's i felt it really sad that it took me until i was like 20 and a movie came out for me to even know about him but those kind of films are so cool when they are based on fact and you can you get carried along with the human emotion and the story of it um but the background is just incredible of the actual and at the end the little thing comes up that says you know Alan Turing. I was. I. I didn't know that yeah. Alan Turing was a real person, or that the imitation game was based on anything real. And and because it came out, it came out a few years ago, and I, I didn't do any research into it. I was just like, oh, you know, this looks interesting. Um, and and then that made me look up Bletchley Park and the work that was done there, and um, I, I just became fascinated in yeah, it. Yeah. So I, I guess it's good that we are getting, you know, films like that. But um, you've also done some really cool things in science. Well. I'm actually a bit rubbish at doing science, so um, <laughs> in the industry, I don't, I'm not. I don't care. I'm not a good cook either, for that exact reason. You know, if it says half a cup of flour, I'll put in however much flour I feel like. I don't, you know, I don't really measure <laughs> things properly or obey instructions well. Um, and so in science, that's a problem <laughs> because <laughs> I can just throw some things in a test tube and, oh, it didn't work, never mind. Um, so I much, much prefer to write about science and to like interview people who are passionate about what they do and then translate that into an article that can go into a magazine or a newspaper or, or a book or whatever. So, yeah, it, that's where my, my skill, I guess, and my passion is rather than actually doing the science. <laughs> <laughs> but what are some of the experiences you've had, I guess, because of your work and interest in science? I feel really honoured to have um, been able to interview some incredible people. And one of them is Gene Cernan, who was the last man to ever walk on the moon. So, wow. I know. Like, <laughs> to actually be able to talk to him and say, hey, how did it feel when you sat in that little tin can? You know, because the technology that they had was not great. It was nothing like what we've got now. How did it feel to hear them go, you know, 10, 9? I mean, were you peeing your pants? I'd be absolutely terrified. And then to step down onto the surface of the moon, like, how did that feel? So that was an incredible honour to be able to talk to him about that experience. And he was so passionate about um, outreach for science and, and inspiring a new generation of people to, again, you know, like to stretch and to push the limits of what we know and understand. Yeah. Just being able to talk to people like that, people who spend decades of their life in pursuit of knowledge that will help us you know, medicine and um, biology and protecting our planet. I love those people. They do such a good job. 
It definitely puts things in perspective, doesn't it? When you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm doing amazing things at work. And then you're like, actually, I'm doing nothing. No, because what you're doing is inspiring people to read. and, And when you read, you have access to other worlds and other people's feelings and you can walk in someone else's shoes and the more readers we have the more beautiful our planet is so you guys are amazing oh that's why <laughs> that's why i work in children's books as well because i can mold their young brains and and if i can get kids to become readers then they'll become educated and knowledgeable and responsible adults that's what i hope and feel oh, i don't think anyone's ever summed up so beautifully why i think reading is so important like that just nearly made me cry thank you exactly (laughs) like it's just it's exactly perfect Uh, which is also why sometimes when I when I hear people talk about you know all the money that we should be putting into STEM education I also want to be like but don't forget English as well because we need to communicate (laughs) because Mm. they need to work together yeah Yeah, and they and they really do work together to to inspire and to teach kids that they can change the world too and if you have um, the power of science without the understanding and responsibility that comes with books you know without that ability to empathize and um, understand how other people feel then that's scary I think so I studied biotechnology at university which is um, the use of microorganisms to create something useful so we use biotechnology to make yogurt and biotechnology to make beer and these things are very useful but we also use biotechnology uh, to make um, germ warfare and we never in in that degree we never had a course on ethics we never had anyone sit down and go what should you be doing how how do you need to um you know look after this knowledge and treat this knowledge so i think that kind of thing's really vital we can't only have scientists and we can't only have um you know people who study the you know great literature because we need people across all those fields and and people who can work together and and literature informs science and science informs literature and yeah i just think that that balance is really important Mm, absolutely yeah Yeah. no it really is and I mean what you said also about ethics like ethics should be taught in relevance to every Mm. industry yeah and it's not Mm. so Mm. I mean it was certainly it was a big part of I did like two or three yeah ethics classes yeah yeah Mm. I mean like yeah you journalism I studied communications and marketing and there's lots of ethics in there yeah there's lots of um, ethics in both both of our fields Yeah, yeah it's I mean I never thought about whether um everyone else did ethics at university or in high Mm. school or anything but apparently not (laughs) um so to finish yes we'd love you to tell us a little bit more about some of the women in science and technology that we don't know too much about who might be a little bit forgotten Uh, that's a good one because if we think um computing today we do see you know the steve jobs and the bill gates we see those big male um sort of stars really of IT but traditionally when when IT first got started women were the stars and women were the programmers and women were the people who were behind the scenes making the computers do the things that they needed to do so yeah people like um the ENIAC 6 they I don't know if you know about ENIAC that was one of the world's first computers uh it was 27 tons so like just a massive massive thing and it had 18,000 on-off switches 
that had to be manually turned on and off. So these women would work together as a team and go around plugging and unplugging and switching and switching on and switching off. And they had to do this in the right order to get the computer to run the program. And nobody taught them how to do it because uh, nobody had ever done it before. So they had to teach themselves how to program this computer. And they did it from um, blueprints. They didn't even get to see the computer because that was in another room. They had to sit down and look at the blueprints and work it out, and, and then they would be allowed onto the computer. So, yeah, they did an amazing job. They've been recognised since then, but at the time, they had a big public demonstration, and after that, all the blokes went out for dinner and, and said, geez, what a good job we did. And the women who oh. programmed it didn't even get... We've both been dealing with we've both been dealing with levels of this recently, and we were just talking about it before we started talking to yeah. you. So why, why are men always like this? I mean, oh. it's upsetting that it's still I mean yes, but... not all men, but I mean, come on, uh, oh, women doing all the work in the background there. <laughs> so now they're all in the Hall of Fame, you know, in the IT Hall of Fame, and. So they should be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's also um, this amazing woman um, called Margaret Hamilton. So she was the lead coder on the Apollo missions when we were heading off to the moon. She was in charge of hundreds of other coders and she, um, you know, managed that whole team. And the way this spins me out, like this is why I just think astronauts were so brave. The way that they coded the ones and the zeros, so the ons and the offs, was using wire through rings so they would weave the code with the wire and if it went through the ring that was a one and if it went outside the ring that was a zero and that's the technology that they used to fly to the moon like (laughs) oh my god God. (laughs) how could that have possibly been accurate like i would never have trusted that Um, but yeah she was just a this young woman who was in this position of leadership and did an incredible job and and there was lots of um women so Catherine Johnson she was another she was employed as a human computer and they would do all this really complicated math so she's from hidden figures yes exactly yes Yes. yeah Yeah. and so when we were sending the first ever astronaut uh John Glenn his name was when we were sending him into orbit he we had computers to do the calculations but he didn't trust them they were so new he wasn't sure whether there were bugs or mistakes so he requested that Catherine um, double check the computer and she did that you know all in her head amazing isn't it isn't it funny now that we would take a computer's word over a human (laughs) totally reversed exactly I mean like those classic things where you're like Oh, what's four plus four? Eight? No, I better just use my calculator and double check. Yep, just use the app. Just double check. (laughs) But, you know, that that is becoming more and more. Computers are beating us at a lot of things. They beat us at games. Um, They're faster at maths. They can calculate, you know, way faster than we can. So we just need to keep... keep tabs on what we teach them to do and the limits that they have. I don't know like some people might say I'm paranoid and I do read a lot of fantasy <laughs> and sci-fi <laughs> well, but, but hey books teach us things that, you know dystopian yeah. fiction we should learn I mean, machine from. learning is amazing and machines are learning that you know if you show them 50,000 pictures of a cat they know what a cat looks like google knows what my face looks like um mm. so yeah it's it's quite quite something Oh, that's my dog. <laughs> oh, 
It was my dog going off before. <laughs> we often have pets in the background. Yeah, what's your dog's name? Sherpa. She's um, she's particularly jumpy at the moment because she's hurt her paw, so she hasn't been getting her usual walks. Oh. Oh. Well, yeah, we quite often. So this is our first guest, guest dog appearance because Percy, <laughs> my dog, is often in the background. So Sherpa's also been on better yeah. words. <laughs> yeah. She sits right at my feet or there's a couch right next to me and she just sits on the couch and puts her head on there and just looks at me for hours like, what are you doing on that box all the time? Why don't you play with me? <laughs> I wish Percy was that calm, honestly. Oh, anyway, thank you so much for joining us today. Look, I think we've both learned a lot and I'm definitely going to be changing my opinion towards and, and changing my perception of whether I'm clever enough to do science now. So thank you so much for chatting to us. Um, Christy, where can people find you? I'm at www.christyburn.com, which is, of course, spelt horribly. So it's C-R-I-S-T-Y-B-U-R-N-E. And if you can spell that, then you are good at science. Because <laughs> it's, it's always misspelled. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Better Words. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you left a rating or review on iTunes. It really would mean the world to us. And you can also find us at our website, betterwordspodcast.com and on social media at betterwordspod on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Bye. Bye.